The chimpanzee, man's closest cousin, with a DNA structure that is 98.5% identical to ours. Scientists now know that humans and chimpanzees branched off from the same evolutionary path millions of years ago, a fact that has sparked a fierce debate between science and religion that continues in our courthouses and classrooms to this day. Even more disruptive to the narrative of man's creation in the image of God is the fact that for millions of years, primitive humans and their chimpanzee cousins actually interbred. For most, this notion is purely academic. For others, it may possess the key to unlocking the secret of what makes us human, what has made us rise from the ape to become the dominant species on the planet. Documents from the Moscow archives revealed that a controversial Russian zoologist named Ilya Ivanovich Ivanov was given a scientific grant from the Soviet government to create an ape-human hybrid. Theories have recently surfaced in Moscow that these experiments were part of a secret project orchestrated by none other than Soviet dictator Joseph Stalin himself to create an army of ape-men to dominate the Earth. Was this simply another example of a mad scientist playing God? Or was Stalin really plotting to build an army of warriors with the mind of a man and the strength of an ape? I'm conspiracy expert Lee Golden, and on this week's one-man minisode of Inside Jobs, I investigate Joseph Stalin's Army of the Apes. At the 1910 World Congress of Zoologists in Graz, Austria, Russian biologist Ilya Ivanovich Ivanov delivered a presentation in which he proposed a shocking and controversial theory that humans could be interbred with their chimpanzee relatives. It was a theory that would become an obsession for Ivanov, one that would eventually lead to his disgrace in the scientific community and fall from grace in the secretive sphere of Soviet science. As a promising young scientist, Ivanov achieved world renown in the field of artificial insemination, a relatively new science in the 20th century, which he is often credited for perfecting. His early experiments centered around the science of horse breeding. Equus, the genus of Animalia to which the horse belongs, are known for their ability to be interbred between the various species in the genus. The mule, for example, is a crossbreed of a male donkey and a female horse. A zebroid, zedonk, zorsonki, or zebrule is a successful crossbreed of a male zebra and a horse mare. Although humans and chimpanzees do not belong to the same genus, the chromosomal disparity between the species is smaller than that of other crossbreeds. A horse, for example, can sometimes have twice as many chromosomal pairs as a zebra. Humans, however, have only one more chromosomal pair than chimpanzees. And if early humans and chimpanzees interbred for millions of years, could it not still be possible today? Could the humanzee, chuman, or manpanzee be truly possible? World War I. The Russian Empire loses somewhere between 1.7 and 2.2 million men throughout the conflict. Red October, the Soviet Revolution of 1917, the Bolsheviks prevail and a new nation emerges from the ashes. But hardship has not ended for the Russian people. The terrible famine of 1921 kills some 6 million Russians. By the time Joseph Stalin assumes control over the Soviet Union in 1922, bloody war, bloodier revolution, and crippling hunger have wiped out a large swath of his countrymen. Who would take up arms against the enemies of the Soviet Union in the coming conflicts Stalin almost certainly knew his fledgling nation would face? How could he rebuild the once mighty army of Mother Russia? The early days of the Soviet Union presented a unique opportunity for many brilliant scientists whose skills could be used to advance the progress of the Soviet cause. 
To this end, Stalin dispersed a wide variety of scientific grants to Russian researchers across the nation. In 1924, Stalin provided one such grant to Ivanov in order to test his theories that man could be interbred with chimpanzee. Ivanov was authorized to create a human-chimp hybrid. Was this simply yet another grant among the countless others, or did it represent a secret project to rebuild the military might of Russia with an army of ape super-soldiers? In 2005, newspapers began circulating stories that documents had been found in the Moscow archives that revealed Ivanov was attempting to create an army of apes with super-strength who were impervious to pain. Soldiers who would not complain about cold, heat, rain, or bland rations. Half-men who could learn ultimate obedience, but could also wield extraordinary destructive physical power. Was this the real story behind Ivanov's secret research on the crossbreeding of humans and chimps? Or had the newspapers taken a misunderstood story and twisted it towards tabloid titillation? One thing is sure, the experiments did take place, but Ivanov was never able to finish his research. The quest for the Humanzi brought Ivanov to French Guinea in West Africa, where he led several expeditions to capture female chimpanzees. Eventually, he brought 13 female chimps into captivity and began his experiments in the Guinean capital of Conakry. In his compound, Ivanov attempted to artificially inseminate these chimpanzees with human sperm. The experiments, however, failed to produce a pregnancy among the chimps. In his desperation and disillusionment, it was at this time that Ivanov turned his energies to an even wilder, disturbing, and unethical endeavor. He was going to attempt to artificially inseminate a human woman with ape sperm. His first thought was to inseminate some of the local women, using the dastardly pretense of a medical examination. The French governor balked at the idea and refused to allow Ivanov to proceed. Angered by this moral roadblock, Ivanov retreated to the labs at the Sukhumi Primate Research Center in the Soviet Union, on the coast of the Black Sea. There he knew he could find loyal Soviet women who would agree to his experiments. Ivanov reportedly convinced at least one such volunteer. Would this finally create the ape-human hybrid that Ivanov had proposed years before in Austria? What woman would volunteer for such a ghastly procedure? And if the experiment did succeed, what kind of monster would it create? Would it be man, or would it be beast? And could it be controlled? Could Ivanov truly create an army of apes for his master Stalin? With a dearth of adult male chimpanzees in captivity at the Primate Research Center, Ivanov was forced to use the seed of an orangutan known as Tarzan. However, before his volunteer was allowed to participate in the macabre procedure, Tarzan died. As Ivanov's experiments crumbled, the political winds were shifting in the Kremlin, and many of the old guard scientists from the early days of Stalin's regime were being cast out of the party's favor. Ivanov's grotesque experiments and theories had become an increasing political embarrassment, and the Soviet leadership was eager to get him out of the way. In December of 1930, he was arrested on trumped-up charges of sabotaging the Soviet agricultural infrastructure and was exiled to Kazakhstan. Disgraced and disillusioned, Ivanov died of a stroke in March of 1932 never knowing if his experiment could have created an ape-human hybrid. As moral attitudes and scientific ethics evolved over the ensuing decades, no other scientists have publicly attempted to walk in Ivanov's shadow, and the dream of the human Z seems to have died with him. 
but the obsession with our long and storied evolutionary link to the ape remains as lively as it ever was. For though man no longer attempts to create a human-chimp hybrid, many scientists have dedicated their lives' work to teaching apes to communicate with humans using sign language or other symbols on computer screens, the gorilla Coco being the most notable example. Additionally, the ape is still used in scientific experiments in the United States, although animal activism efforts have stalled this somewhat. The Sukumi Primate Research Center itself remained active for decades after Ivanov's arrest, eventually becoming a breeding ground for apes used in the space race of the 1960s. Over the years, the notion of an ape-human hybrid has dominated the popular imagination. Most notable is the series of films, television programs, and comics Planet of the Apes. Based on the original French novel Le Planète de la Songe by Pierre Boulle, author of Bridge on the River Kwai, which imagines an upside-down world in which the ape has taken the place of man as the master of the planet, possessing the power of speech, reason, and modern weaponry. Originally adapted into a film starring Charlton Heston in 1968, the series was recently rebooted to great commercial and critical success. The newest entry, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, opened in theaters last week. Like all great science fiction, the Ape series is not really about the future. It's about the moral and philosophical conundrums of the present day. And while the original film was preoccupied with the anxieties over racial inequality and nuclear annihilation, the more recent entries have dealt with our own current fears over disease and our reliance on pharmaceuticals to conduct normal lives. Both films have wrestled with the ethics of scientific experimentation on our chimpanzee cousins. Experiments such as those conducted by Dr. Ivanov. Indeed, it is the act of experimenting on chimps which leads to humanity's downfall and the rise of the apes themselves in the recent films. These movies, and the reality from which they derive their inspiration, beg a multitude of moral questions. For what happens to apes when our experiments are completed? What are the consequences when apes that are raised and taught by humans are allowed to create their own society without us? Oftentimes, former lab apes are simply euthanized, but sometimes they are finally granted their freedom. A fascinating recent example of this is the so-called Monkey Island of Liberia, populated entirely by former lab-tested chimpanzees. The lab they were housed at was shut down during the brutal civil war that engulfed Liberia in the late 80s and 90s, but the apes survived the conflict and were transported to their own island. The chimps of Monkey Island are now fiercely protective of their new home, and the local Liberian residents refuse to visit it for fear of their lives. The only humans who dare venture to the Island of the Apes are those tasked with providing the apes food and supplies. For our fascination with apes is equaled only by our fear of them. In the 1972 film Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, the ape leader Caesar asks the human antagonist Governor Breck why man harbors such fear and hatred for the ape. Replies Breck all too easily, because your kind were once our ancestors. Because man was born of apes, and there's still an ape curled up inside of every man. You're the beast in us that we have to whip into submission. You're the savage that we need to shackle in chains. You taint us, Caesar. You poison our guts. When we hate you, we're hating the dark side of ourselves. Of course, there are those who believe that the ape-man exists and that he walks among us. Almost every society has stories of a mythical ape-man who stalks the wilderness, an elusive creature that may be the last remaining missing link between man and ape. He has gone by many names, 
the Yeti, the Alma, the Sasquatch. But in American popular culture, he is known affectionately as Bigfoot. Much of modern Bigfoot mythology centers around the controversial Patterson film, a sequence of 16mm footage shot in October 1967 by Roger Patterson. It portrays a hairy figure lumbering through the woods of Humboldt, California. Cryptozoologists and other fringe elements of society claim that the Patterson film offers proof that the ape-man Bigfoot is real. Almost every zoologist and Hollywood makeup artist who has reviewed the film has dubbed it a hoax, simply a man in an ape suit. But if it is not an ape-man, then it must be something else, a conspiracy. Where did Roger Patterson get the suit? Who was in it? Who made it? Among Hollywood makeup artists, the name of one man is most often associated with the Patterson suit, John Chambers. By the time the Patterson film was shot, Chambers had earned the reputation as the best monster man in Hollywood from his work on countless films and television shows such as Star Trek, Lost in Space, and The Outer Limits. Indeed, Chambers was one of the few men in the world who would have had access to a suit as detailed and realistic as the one portrayed in the Patterson film in 1967. In fact, Chambers would often rent out the costumes from his studio to whomever was willing to pay a thousand dollars or two. So many of his peers and disciples have speculated that even if he wasn't involved with the Patterson film directly, Patterson may have rented one of Chambers' suits to stage his famous hoax. In 1968, one year after the Patterson film was shot, Chambers received an Academy Award for his groundbreaking work on what would become his most memorable film, Planet of the Apes. In 1987, a number of Hollywood makeup artists were having a conversation with Rick Baker, who was renowned for his ape costume work on Tarzan, the 1977 King Kong remake, Gorillas in the Mist, and even Tim Burton's 2001 reimagining of the Planet of the Apes. Baker told the crew that it was common knowledge that the Patterson suit was built by Chambers and that everyone in the business knew it. Baker had also created the monster design for the 1981 film An American Werewolf in London, directed by John Landis. Landis worked on the 20th Century Fox lot as a mailroom boy when Chambers was working on the sequel to Planet of the Apes and corroborated Baker's assertion, claiming that Chambers flat out told him that he had built the Patterson suit. Incidentally, a few years later, Landis actually appeared as a bit player in the atrocious ape sequel Battle for the Planet of the Apes, which served as the death knell for the original films. In 1995, makeup artist John Vulich was watching an old episode of Lost in Space, which was also produced on the 20th Century Fox lot around the same time as the Patterson film and the original Planet of the Apes. Chambers also worked on the series Uncredited. In the episode, Vulich claims to have seen none other than the Patterson suit itself with a different head attached. Is Bigfoot really hidden away somewhere on the 20th Century Fox backlot? Was the man that created the army of talking gorillas from the Planet of the Apes also part of the conspiracy to foist a hoax on the American people that the missing link between man and ape was wandering free in the forests of Northern California? Or is it a group of men who make their living tricking audiences, pulling another fast one on us? If so, that's something of a conspiracy itself. Dr. Ivanov never brought his dream of an ape-man hybrid into the world, and the army of apes that the Soviets may have built only exists in the imagination of a French novelist and the effects wizards of 20th Century Fox. 
but perhaps one day, when humanity has withered to dust, our chimpanzee cousins may outlive us. For when our technology is stripped from us, who is the stronger species? As Charlton Heston's character says in the original Planet of the Apes film, I'm a seeker too, but my dreams aren't like yours. I can't help thinking that somewhere in the universe, there has to be something better than man. For Inside Jobs, I'm conspiracy expert Lee Golden. Follow the monkey. If you'd like to read my review of the newest Planet of the Apes film, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, navigate to author337.wordpress.com. That's author337.wordpress.com. Thanks for listening to Inside Jobs.